It's the JT The Brick Show. They get the snap off. Hand off Jacobs. Has the first down of the big hole. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Raiders. Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Raiders bring a blitz. He is smothered and brought down. Max Crosby came around for the sack. Your silver and black home to sound off for over 20 years. Shotgun snap to Stidham. Lobs near corner for Adams. Makes the grab in the corner. Touchdown, Raiders. An absolutely perfect pass. And Adams dragged his feet in the back left corner. And now, filling in for JT today is Harry Ruiz. Raider Nation, our number two of the JT The Brick Show has arrived, and it's a pleasant surprise to have my good friend Vinny Vonsignor here with us today on the air live from the NFL Scouting Combine as Christian Gonzalez is going to take his second run, one of the top cornerbacks. And, of course, Vinny, the Raiders, keeping an eye on everybody out there in this defensive back group because they definitely have to upgrade that position. Vinny, thank you for coming on the air here today, courtesy of Dos Caras Tequila and Real 2-1 Group. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, Harry. And, uh, yep, we are here at the Scouting Combine. I'm watching Christian just like you are. Uh, not over at the stadium right now, uh, but going to uh, probably head over there at some point uh, later today. But, uh, yeah, Christian uh, is somebody to keep an eye on. Literally just saw him uh, not too long ago here over at the uh, convention side of things. So uh, tons and tons of talent. This is a really, to me, uh, deep class, uh, uh, draft class, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But, you know, with the Raiders – they got rid of one quarterback. They need another quarterback. So um, along with the defense, it's all about quarterbacks here. Absolutely. The quarterback position, you guys spoke with him today. Did anybody impress you more than somebody else? We've heard already uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis out here on the air today, courtesy of you and Q that are out there. Did anybody impress you more than somebody else? Well, um, I think, you know, Bryce Young was extremely impressive, but I just feel like he's going to be out of the Raiders' uh, reach unless he takes some kind of a surprising fall, which I don't uh, anticipate. But um, C.J. Stroud really did impress me, um, and that's not taking anything away from Anthony Richardson or Will, Will Levis or, or any of these quarterbacks for that matter. Uh, but but the candor that uh, C.J. talked about, talked with um, the poise, how he answered the questions about, you know, did he have, is he reluctant to run the ball, uh, which no, he's not reluctant to run the ball. He didn't necessarily need to at Ohio State, but as he said uh, today, if I got to drop my shoulder and go get a couple of yards for a first, or second, for a first down, I'm going to do it. So um, I really liked um, just kind of the presence that he had. Uh, and that obviously lines up with some fabulous tape that he's put on, uh, you know, put out there as, as the quarterback of Ohio State the last few years. The defensive backs and the special teamers taking the field today. But tomorrow, the quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends will be the ones with the on-field program. What is what you're looking towards for the most from these guys? Because obviously Bryce Young, he's going to save all his ammo for his pro day. But you got guys that are trying to raise their level uh, to raise awareness to other teams of what they can do. Yeah, I really want to see uh, Anthony Richardson and and Will uh, throw the ball tomorrow. I don't think we'll get all of the questions uh, answered about um, some of the issues that they may have had with their accuracy. Uh, but I think um, 
you know, uh, it'll it'll be a big step for them if they can come out here and be accurate with the ball. And, you know, there's so many throws that they're going to make here, and they're not working with their own wide receivers. So there'll be a little bit of an unknown when they get out there. And I kind of like that because, you know, when you play – quarterback in the NFL there's some things that you got to do on the fly uh, and it's not going to always be uh, exactly as planned so sometimes those pro days are so orchestrated and, uh, and you're working with your own guys uh, that I'd like to see them here um, you know at the combine where they're just working with you know wide receivers from from here in the uh, at the combine and ha- making you kind of adjust and I want to see Anthony Richardson and Will Levis uh, leave us in, ter- in terms of how they throw the ball because that's been the biggest issue for them is their accuracy. Champ Kelly, the assistant GM for the Raiders, mentioned that that's something that he wants to see. Also, the communication that those quarterbacks have with their teammates, with the guys that they're playing with. And obviously, it's completely different right now in the combine than it is on pro day, right? Yeah, no doubt about it. And that'll be, a, you know, it's, it's hard to get that here at the, uh, at, at the combine uh, because, you know, there's a little bit of communication going on, but it's not like you have to, you know, lead a huddle uh, and lead a group of players and then get to the line of scrimmage and, and communicate at the line of scrimmage what you're seeing, what you want, your, what your teammates to do. So that element really isn't that prevalent uh, here, here at the combine, but there should be enough, you know, tape out there and data out there and talking to their teammates and talking to their coaches uh, that, that you could get a pretty good handle of, of where they are in terms of that. Obviously, the Raiders won't tip their hand or reveal their cards on what they're going to do. But are you getting a sense of something that the Raiders uh, might be doing in the near future regarding that quarterback position? Not yet. Um, and there's still another big element uh, that, that happens before the draft, and that's free agency. And I think that the way the Raiders you know, um, go about free agency is probably going to be pretty telling in what they'll do in the draft. If they go out and spend you know, $30 million on, on uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, it probably means that that first-round pick is not going to be a quarterback, and they're not going to trade up uh, in that scenario to go get a quarterback. So what happens in the next couple of, you know, when, when free agency starts, and it's really right around the corner, uh, when we start, start seeing how active the Raiders are uh, in free agency and where they go for a quarterback, uh, that's probably going to be, be a pretty good tell on what their plans are in the draft, whether they're going to draft somebody early uh, or wait until the, the later rounds to get, you know, uh, a development uh, guy that can sit behind like a Jimmy Garoppolo. As I, as I was going on the air today, I saw the ticker with uh, NFL Network and Tom Pelissero and his report about the Raiders planning to place a franchise tag on Josh Jacobs if they don't reach a deal by Tuesday's deadline. And at, at the moment when I just saw the ticker and it was reaching its end, I was like, wait, did something happen? And then I was like, did, 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 does that surprise you, Vinny? Because like we follow the Raiders every day. I thought that was a given, right? If they don't reach a deal, they're, they're going to use a tag. Yeah, uh, exactly, and that's kind of we love Tom. Uh, so uh, nothing against Tom, uh, you know, it is news, uh, but it's not breaking news uh, in the in the classic sense because there's no way that the Raiders are going to just let Josh Jacobs waltz into free agency if they can't you know come to terms with him on a contract uh, without some protection, and that's what the uh, the franchise tag does. It gives you some protection and it also buys you some time. So it was inevitable that if they got to the deadline uh, on Tuesday and there wasn't a, a new deal in place that they were going to use the franchise tag they're not letting josh jacobs just walk out the door there's no way that that's going to happen absolutely yeah when i when i finally read the tweet i was like well i don't think that's anything new i think that we all knew that that was going to happen if they don't reach a deal do you 
feel that they are going to get the tag first and then reach a deal or that a deal would be reached before Tuesday's deadline? Well, I'll answer that the way uh, Dave Ziegler answered that um, just a couple of days ago when we talked about, you know, you can't really talk in absolutes because, and and as he explained, you know, there, there were deals that he's done that he thought were going to take two months that took two days. And then there were deals that he did that he thought, thought would take two days that ended up taking two months. So, you know, the good news is for both the, 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 the biggest news or the best news of all is that Josh Jacobs wants to be with the Raiders. The Raiders want Josh Jacobs. So that's a great starting point uh, to start from. Um, and there also is, what, five days still left uh, to work with, four days or so uh, before the Tuesday deadline. And a lot of times deadlines um, get action, you know, uh, or prompt action. So we'll see. We're, we're, I can't call it one way or another. And even Dave was, you know, uh, you know, the sense that I got was that it's still pretty fluid right now and it could go one way or the other. But uh, the good news for the Raiders is they do have that franchise tag uh, just in case uh, they can't come to a deal. And even if they have to use it, by the way, on Tuesday, uh, both sides still have until mid-July uh, to, to hammer out a, a new deal. So even the franchise tag doesn't mean that um, Josh will be playing under the franchise tag in 2023. Yeah, and you look back at the case of Le'Veon Bell, where the Steelers clearly wanted him to play under the franchise tag and weren't interested on making him the highest paid running back, and he didn't end up playing that year in professional football. Over here, it seems to be the opposite case, where the Raiders do want to get a deal done, where Josh does want to play for the Raiders and where he said if it makes sense to play with the franchise tag then he'll play on it he's open to the to the idea of it yeah I don't think it's it's his first preference obviously I don't think it's the Raiders first preference uh to be perfectly honest um you know and, and especially with when when you do a long-term deal as opposed to the franchise tag um you get to manipulate the the salary cap a little bit more uh, with a long-term deal because you could always use uh, a signing bonus, you know, to to help offset the salary of that for this year and what that salary would mean on your on your books. Um, whereas the, with the franchise tag, the ten point, you know, whatever million dollars it is, uh, is it directly affects your salary cap. And oh, by the way, it also means that you know uh, once you use the franchise tag on somebody, that ten million dollars comes off of your salary cap or gets applied to your salary cap. So when we're thinking about the Raiders right now with close to $60 million in, in salary cap space, if they use the franchise tag, the minute they declare that they're using the franchise tag uh, on Josh Jacobs, that takes $10 million away from that $60 million. We're talking with Vinny Vonsignor, courtesy of Dos Caras Tequila and the Realty One Group. Vinny, in the recent history for the Raiders, you look at what they've done in the drafts and struck out more than they've actually got in hits, doubles, or home runs like with Max Crosby. How big is this one where they're projected to have 11 picks available to use? Yeah, um, it's and you know you got to give Dave Ziegler a lot of credit because he got draft picks for Trayvon Mullen, he got draft picks uh, for for Brian Edwards, uh, Jonathan Hankins. Um, you know these are players that the Raiders no longer that that, that players that no longer fit in the Raiders' plans. Uh, Heck, and if Tyree Gillespie had played a little bit, he would have gotten a draft pick for him too. Right, exactly. So. Um, you know, uh, credit to, to Dave Ziegler for, um, you know, seeing ahead of the corner a little bit or a little bit of the curve because you think about it, Trayvon Mullen moved on from the team that gave the Raiders a pick for him 
uh, as did as did Brian Edwards. So uh, so that's pretty good general managering right there, and that's allowed the Raiders to have a couple of extra picks. Um, and I know that they're champing at the bit to be able to get after it in this draft because they know that they need to start building a young foundation uh, for this club. And it, and it really does start with this draft class um, having their full uh, allotment of picks, although we'll see what happens come draft day. If they trade up, then they're going to be giving up some picks uh, to do so. Uh, but if they feel like they're going to be able to secure their quarterback of the future um, for their long-term future, I think they'll, they'd be ready to pounce on something like that. You started racking up the miles already this year with that trip in Indianapolis. How productive has it been for you? I've been seeing all the stories you've done out there with the Las Vegas Review Journal and also a fantastic job with the morning tailgate out here at Raider Nation Radio. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, um, and, and Q's been, been here the whole time. Uh, so uh, we've been kind of tag-teaming uh, this whole thing. It's been very productive. Uh, I always tell people the scouting combine is it's really an important uh, week uh, on the NFL calendar and, and really – if you're covering football, kind of a must place to be because there's just so much access. You get to meet all these players. Um, obviously, the, the town is just the city is just kind of you know fill right now with with every NFL executive coach uh, that that you can imagine. So uh, it's great um, in terms of the information uh, that you can gather, and of course, you know fans are really interested in this. This is the draft is what shapes your future, uh, and obviously the Raiders need to start sticking some of these uh, draft picks more than they than they have in the past. And if they can start doing that. This thing is going to get turned around, you know, faster than, than than people might think. Last question: Vegas is taking teams from other cities. Is there any chance we could take the combine out from Indianapolis, or is it just too already well organized over there that it's nothing to mess with? Well, I mean, the combine is here through next year. Uh, that's that's the only. Uh, I, I would imagine that's probably going to change, but it hasn't yet. Uh, so they're, they're, it's guaranteed through next season. Uh, I would think that there's a lot of cities, Las Vegas included, that would love to have uh, the combine. One thing that, um, that 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 really sets this city apart is it's so connected. I mean, you could just walk to the stadium from uh, the convention center to uh, to go check out the on-field workouts that's that's going on right now. Just a stones an AJ AJ Cole punt away from us right now. But then there's also a lot of medical, um, you know. Uh, facilities here uh, and that's such a big component of, of, of the combine is the medicals uh, so being able to get access to doctors and whatnot to check out um, you know all the data all the x-rays all everybody's medical records it's all centralized here in Indianapolis as well so you're gonna have to find a city that checks off all of those boxes although I think Las Vegas probably could considering the proximity to um, the convention center uh, there in Las Vegas, plus all the hotel access, uh, because the, this convention center is is hooked up to about five hotels, I think it is. Uh, so it's pretty, it's it's very convenient and very conducive to this type of an of an event. But I would imagine Las Vegas could pull it off as well. Hey, shout out to the LVCVA, Steve yes. Hill, Lisa Motley. Let's see if we can get the. We got everything out here to Las Vegas. If we got the Super Bowl next year. We can get the 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 combine. Come on, absolutely right, Vinny Vonsignor, Thank you so much. Thank you to our friends over at Dos Caras Tequila and the Realty One Group for bringing you on the air here today on the JT the Brick Show. And have a safe trip back home, man. Uh, thanks a lot, and thanks for having me. Absolutely, Vinny Vonsignor, live from Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. Q Myers will be live from two to five.
from out there with unnecessary roughness. So stay tuned here to Raider Nation Radio. We're going to go to a break, but before it, I want to remember you. I want to remind you that Grimaldi's is hands down my favorite pizza in Las Vegas. They have four locations in the Vegas Valley. Boca Park, the Palazzo, South Rainbow, and in Green Valley. For more, visit GrimaldisPizzeria.com. Let's go get some Grimaldi's, Bobby, right after the show. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back with Damon Cott and my broadcast partner with the XFL Vipers to hear more about the XFL and UFC. to the JT The Brick Show with today's guest host, Harry Ruiz. What's your thoughts on tonight? Seriously. <laughs> uh, my thoughts on tonight. Great, great atmosphere. That's about it for me. Uh, Coach, sustained drives obviously tough for you guys to come by tonight. What was the biggest issue offensively? Was it something tonight? they were doing? The first two games. How about that? Kind of on that same note, I guess, second half's also been a bit of a struggle as well. I mean, what's kind of been the biggest issue there for you guys in the second half of games? If I had that answer, it wouldn't happen. If our players had that answer, it wouldn't happen. It's unfortunate that uh, we played the first half of football and don't want to play the second half of football. You know, they, they come out in the second half. Um, they really don't do anything. They run two plays. They ran the outside zone, and their quarterback died the, re- the whole second half. Well, to say that Rod Woodson, head coach for the Vegas Vipers, sounded disappointment, disappointed is an understatement after the Vegas Vipers were defeated at home by the D.C. Defenders 18-6. to I'm Harry Ruiz here back with you on the JT The Brick Show, and I have my broadcast partner for the Vegas Vipers games here with me, Damon Cotton. Damon, it was a pretty miserable day all around out there at Cashman Field with the weather being mm-hmm. rainy, cold. By the end of the night, I think our hands, we could barely feel them being, being outdoors the whole time, right? Oh, yeah. Just a bad night weather-wise, and then the product on the field also suffered because of the elements. Now, I know we can always say, hey, both teams had to play in them, but if, hey, if you had to ask them, would you rather play in those conditions or just in a nice 60-degree day, they would pick that. Ten times out of ten, when you got the kickers that aren't even able to plant their foot on kickoffs or field goal attempts, it was just a bad, it was a bad looking product. But I know some people like to say that's football weather. No, it's not. Football is meant to be played in good conditions, not like the slush that we saw out there. And look, I've worked at Cashman Field since 2018 when I was a PA announcer for the Lights, 2019 and 2020 when I worked full-time for the Lights, and since then I've been going to pretty much every home game that the Lights have had out there at Cashman Field, and the pitch, the field condition, isn't great. Like, the guys, you would see them out there on the field, and they were struggling to make matters worse. That rain definitely didn't make the playing surface uh, one that made it easy for them to be able to play in great ways. Heck, you look at the stats. That's been three field goals that the Vipers have missed. One in the opening game, 
two last week at Cashman Field. The running game for the Vipers, I mean, you could pretty much say unexistent. Uh, they It showed up a little bit last week, but 116 yards rushing in the first two games for the Vegas Vipers, and that's something that they need to uh, correct the right, right now because it's they need to, with the quarterback situation as it is, you got to have something function on offense. Yeah, so the run game, I said it before, because the first game in the season against Arlington, the team only had 25 rushing yards. So obviously in the second game, got to be better than again, got to do better than that against the D.C. defenders. And they were able to do that. But the problem was that the ball was stalled. The, the drives, they just stalled out. They weren't able to move the ball in the second half. And then with the inability to make field goals, hey, it's raining, the pat, you know, so you're not just throwing the ball around all across the yard. So it was just one of those issues where the run game isn't as effective. And we're going to see where both quarterbacks now, Brett Hundley, he, he played majority of that game now when you go back, who took the most snaps. But I don't think that he's not so much earned his way to be the starting quarterback because as Coach Rod Woodson will tell you, he still got, he came in later into the season, right, right before the season started, still got to learn the playbook, still got to get acclimated with those players there. But one of the biggest takeaways, only nine first downs yeah, in that last game. Just look at, before we go into the quarterback situation, Rod Smith, he had a 27-yard carry in that game against D.C., which was the best play offensively for the Vegas Vipers. But then you look at the rest of the game, and it's like they weren't able to produce. He had that carry for 27 yards, and then he had five more carries for a total of 11 yards, just barely over two yards a carry. So the Vegas Vipers, offensively, they got to get way better. And we'll hear now from Rod Woodson talking about about the quarterback situation. Luis Perez has started both games, but Brent Hundley came in in the second quarter of week number two against the D.C. Defenders. Let's hear Rod Woodson about the quarterback situation with the Vipers. Coach, uh, you, you talked about starting the weeks tonight and uh, took him out pretty quickly. Went to Brent. What went in that decision? It's every position's fluid right now <laughs> when you have won your first two games. Um, not just the quarterback position. And I know that's the... The glamour position and all of football, um, we're, trying to, we're trying to figure out a way to score points on a consistent basis. Uh, whoever can be the leader of the offense and which quarterback can take the helm and show that they want to be that guy, that's the guy who's going to be out there. And same thing goes for each position. We're checking each position. I don't care who your name is. I don't care what your status was in the National Football League. Each position is going to get checked. Uh, defensively, the same thing. We're going to get checked how we played in the second half because it was not good. It was not fun. It was not, it's not easy to see that type of non-tackling performance that our defense had in the second half from two plays. Yeah, it was definitely not fun out there at Cashman Field for the Vegas Vipers. Once you exclude all the stuff they did pregame, the halftime entertainment they try to do with the rain, once it started pouring down, it was difficult. And that's the most important part about going to a sporting event. What happens on the field during the sporting event, not all the hooplas and hoorahs all around it. Yeah, something else that he said there that caught my eye in that clip was he said it does. I don't care. Like he doesn't care about your status in the National Football League that you had. And some people might have talked about Brett Hundley, but I'm also thinking about Martavis Bryant because he had a key drop in that game this last, this last Saturday. Where that's one of those plays where you got to make that catch. 
you can't drop that pass because he had it in his hands but then loses it as he's going down to the ground and just lose, loses it due to the ground. So it's also players like Martavis Bryant where we can say, hey, the quarterbacks, hey, that's the glamour position like he said, but everybody's job, everybody's got to be put, being put on notice on this team. And Martavis Bryant, he is one of those guys where – Called, uh, called it out a couple of times, like, hey, I think they're going to go to him here. And they went to him, but he wasn't able to bring the ball in. So he's another player for me because Rod Woodson said it. I know we all want to talk about the quarterback. De'Aaron King, they put him in, the D.C. defenders put them in, him in at quarterback last week, and all they did was run two plays with him, and it was effective. But it does. it is about that team effort at the end of the day. Exactly. Players, coaches, everybody on that squad needs to get on the same page to get a win. And they are going to be facing another winless team, another team that's 0-2 this season, the Seattle Sea Dragons, who have in their quarterback, Ben DiNucci, the leading passer in the XFL this season. So it's going to be interesting. The defense for the, I'll say this, the defense for the Vipers, they look good for most of the game. They were able to keep the lead going into the final quarter of the game. And then De'Ara King ran all over the Vegas Vipers. So the thing is, if you're averaging five plays per offensive drive, that's going to leave your position in a tough spot. So let's see if the offense can step it up to another gear. Tomorrow, Cashman Field, the game's at 4 o'clock. The broadcast, we're starting it at 345 with a preview. The game at 4 o'clock, and let's see if the Vipers get another win. We hope to see you guys out there at Cashman Field. So, Damon, you're going to be doing double duty from Four to seven, you're going to be broadcasting an XFL game, and then you're going to be flying all the way down to the T-Mobile Arena on, in your car to watch UFC 285, the return of John Jones. How hyped are you to cover the return of somebody that's considered by many as the best mixed martial artist ever? Oh, man, I'm so excited for this. To me, this is the pay-per-view of the year in the UFC. John Jones is headlining this fight. You know, the heavyweight title is on the line. I was at the um, official weigh-ins today. He weighed in at 248, a half a pound heavier than his competitor in this fight, Cyril Ghosn, fighting out of France. Now, Cyril Ghosn, he's got some of the best striking in the heavyweight division. Some would say he's the most technically sound striker in the heavyweight division. But we saw in his loss to Francis Ngannou, He's not much of a grappler, not much of a wrestler. Francis Ngannou was injured in that last fight and was still, hey, he brushed up on his wrestling. That's the way he's going to beat him, just laid and prayed on him. But John Jones, a way, way better wrestler than Francis Ngannou. So even with the, hey, he's coming up from light heavyweight, he's now in the heavyweight division, I think that wrestling is just going to be something that Cyril Ghosn He's just not going to be ready for him. Maybe he's been working on it, working his butt off in his camp. But I don't think in the time that he's had, you know, since this fight's been announced, I don't think that he's going to be able to match John Jones on that level. Yeah, and John Jones, his return has brought a lot of excitement to the sport of mixed martial arts and specifically UFC because he's a draw. I heard the press conference from yesterday and the fans were going crazy for John Bones Jones, who, yes, has had a lot of extracurricular uh, activities that have hurt his image a little bit. But it seems like every time he gets in that octagon, that is left behind. And he has had two other stops of two years in his career, he comes back and he seems to always be on his game. Do you think him being out for three years is going to hurt him? Do you think there's going to be some rust in his game or not? 
Well, it goes back to the old phrase, how can I miss you if you never go away? Now that he's been gone away for those three years, the fans, there's the fervor of, hey, we want to see John Jones back. Where I was talking to a fellow media member, and I was like, yeah, the place is going to become unglued. And he said just on the walkout alone of just he's excited. Just I can't wait to see the atmosphere for the walkout of John Jones. Where you mentioned, hey, all the extracurriculars outside of the cage, outside of the octagon, where, yes, he's admitted to, and, you know, he's been caught doing several dumb things just things that if you're the best of all time in your sport why are you putting yourself in these situations but when it comes to inside of that octagon john jones is special so for the fans it's just that once in a lifetime type of an athlete that you get to see that you want to see perform that if he can clear out all of the distractions yesterday at the media day, hey, someone's like, hey, you're going to get lit after the fight if you win? He's like, nope, not a chance. <laughs> and not Dana was like, yes, don't get lit. <laughs> you know, not a chance. He's not doing anything. Or if he can keep his head on straight, there's no doubt about it. I know that he has the one next to his name, but that was because he was just delivering a thousand elbows and one of them were just, you know, illegal, an illegal elbow. So he's got that one next to his name. But to everybody who's a fan of the sport, he's an undefeated fighter. And when you have that legacy and being gone for three years and challenging himself to fight at a new division, that was part of the reason also why he could just sit away for three years. It's not so he wasn't suspended from the UFC or anything. He just was a little bit bored with the light heavyweight division. There were no there were no challenges. Now he challenges himself. He's going to take some time off, put on the weight. And now he's back at heavyweight. So when you talk about the excitement, yes, one of the goats in the mixed martial arts is back at a new weight class. Everybody should want to see this fight. We got the cowboy, Damon Cotton, in the building right now, the host of the fight game on 1230 The Game, the my broadcast partner with the XFL Vipers here on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. There's another title fight on this card, UFC 285, tomorrow here in Las Vegas, T-Mobile Arena. Pay-per-view starts at 7 o'clock local time. Valentina Shevchenko faces Alexa Grasso from Mexico. The big underdog is Grasso. Do you think she has a chance? It's one of those. I would fights. love a third Mexican fighter <laughs> yeah. to be a champion. Yes, well, that's she's chasing the history. She's the number five ranked contender in the flyweight division in the women's UFC division. But it's one of those fights where Valentina has been the champ for so long that dominance where everyone has the puncher's chance. But maybe this fight was too soon with Alexa at Media Day a few days ago she was talking about. Maybe she wanted another fight before. She didn't expect to get the call of, hey, you know, hey, your next fight, do you want it to be for the title? She thought maybe she was a fight away. But you, everybody is, you know, who's turning down a title fight? Obviously no one. The UFC calls you and say, you want the title fight? You take the title fight. You say but yes. It, yes. Of 10 times out of 10, you say yes to the, champ, to the champ. But Valentina, she's just been the champion for so long where... Not saying that she's on another level, but when you run through the division for this long, maybe the win. If I'm trying to figure out what the the, the best path to victory will be, because in the Cyril Gon fight, well, maybe if he could just out outclass John Jones on the feet, maybe that's where he could see the win as well. But I think that this would have to be a smartly won decision because I don't see a finish for Alexa. Maybe if she can catch her in a submission, but. I don't see the finish for Alexa Grasso here. The last time that Valentina Shevchenko lost to somebody not named Amanda Nunez, you got to go all the way back to September 2010 when she lost by TKO to Lise Kermucci. Uh, C3 fights. It wasn't even a UFC card back then when she <laughs> when she lost. She's been that dominant since she has been in the UFC. Yes, she has two defeats in the UFC, both of them against Amanda Nunez, who's Simply one of the best female fighters we have ever seen in the sport. The so, best. Exactly. She's a legend. And 
I'll go to this. We spoke about UFC, about the two big fights. It's a, f- a very complete card. I was watching even the prelims and the early prelims. I'm like, hey, you know what? If I wasn't working at that time, I'd be tuning into ESPN Plus to watch those fights. But n- now I want to ask you about this, Damon, because Sunday I was watching the Jake Paul, Tommy Fury fight. And I'm like, how is it that these guys are gaining my interest despite them not being great boxers, despite them not being elite boxers. But then you look over and there are great boxers out there, but they're not getting the they're not fighting in the spotlight as they should, in my opinion. They're they're not getting the casual fan in it. UFC, they sunk me in and I'm like full on UFC now. Boxing, I used to watch boxing every single weekend in Mexico. I moved back to the States. I would watch boxing every single weekend. Now I'm watching boxing when Jake Paul is fighting Tommy Fury because the sport has lost me. What has happened there? Well, it goes to the power of promotion. You mentioned Jake Paul, Tommy Fury. Jake Paul selling the hell out of his fight. He's got the, I don't know if he's got the going to have the buzz now that he's lost, but he had that power of you, you're hate watching. You want to see if he can keep this going. You want to see who's going to be the first person to beat Jake Paul. With the UFC, they've got Dana White. And something that they've got the advantage of being the one promotion, the singular promotion, is that they're going to put together the best fights, the fights that fans want to see. In boxing, you don't have that. So maybe you can think of, let's say, Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence. They were supposed to fight this past year. Maybe it was going to happen this year. And we don't know if we're ever going to get that fight now. Where What's the biggest fight that could be happening between two big names? It was just announced recently, Ryan Garcia versus Javante Tank Davis. Where that's something that people are at least going to be excited about a little bit. Two guys that have that social media buzz that have the millions of followers on Instagram. You know, if they sell you a product on IG, maybe people would be interested to buy it. So when it comes to that mainstream boxing level, it is that marketing, that promoting, that's just not there where, you know, Don King isn't walking through that door to sell you on this fight. Whereas the UFC, Dana White is going to be hyping it up. You've got Dana pushing the big fights. And then you also, the bit of pro wrestling that's involved with it as well of how are you selling the fight? Where Jake Paul, where he's being the character, he is being like, hey, he knows just as much as we know that you all want to see him fail. So does that probably go away now that he has failed? He wants the rematch with Tommy Fury. There was a rematch clause in the contract. But are you interested to see that fight? Would you watch if the rematch was announced for July? Or do you care now? Yeah, like the first time I'm like, oh, it's Jake Paul against an actual boxer. I'm like, I want to watch it. After watching this fight on Sunday and seeing a lot of hugs, the only thing missing was kisses. I'm like, nah, maybe <laughs> maybe I'll pass on the next one. But right now I'm like, okay, let's see what's up with boxing. And I'm losing a lot of interest in the sport. And unfortunately, these celebrity fights are the ones that are like, oh, let's see what that has going on. Because I'm Mexican-American. I'm the guy that I should be watching all the Canelo fights. I, I've watched one Canelo fight over the last five years, and it's because I had to work it for the Review Journal. If not, I would have potentially missed it because I look at the guys that he's fighting, and I'm like, eh, I've never heard of him. It's like the Julio Cesar Chavez times. It's like you don't even know if he's a taxi driver, if he sells beer at a store next door, whatever. I'm like, I see it. I'm like, he fought in Europe all these years. I'm like, well, come back to come over to America. Fight some real competition. If if you want to set your name and become somebody that gains my interest. I'm like, Canelo's making 30 million off that fight. I'm like, I don't care. Who's the other guy? Never heard of him. I'll give Mayweather credit about that. He was a great promoter. He would talk a lot of crap. He would do all the stuff that would make you buy the fight to watch him lose. I would be the opposite. I enjoyed the promotion. I'm like, I don't want him to lose because if he loses, then that makes me lose that interest of, 
man, I want to watch him lose. So he kept his undefeated streak. I know there's a fight in there that a lot of people thought he lost. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, that's what boxing is all about. And I think they're just losing fans as days go by and UFC is gaining fans. And I love that you're able to cover the sport of UFC and also boxing on your show. Tell people when, where, and how they can listen to you. Oh, that's the fight game on 12.30 The Game, our sister station, KLAV, 12.30 The Game, Thursdays from noon to 1, and you can also get the podcast, wherever you get podcasts, that's the fight game with Demond Cotton. But I've got to ask you, speaking of boxing, Creed 3, we both saw it last night. What did you think about it? So I'll... I go to the I'm, since the pandemic, I started going to the movie. So I started getting a little bit more like in the past, I would say any movie was good. Ow, I like the movie, but it wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. Hmm. It lost me a little bit in the middle of the movie. I was like, eh, I'm starting to lose interest. Then towards the end of the movie, I won't say what was happening, but it caught my attention again. Like it was good, but it's not like that kind of good that I'm going to be like, OK, I want to go watch it again. The final fight, we don't have to spoil anything, but obviously the final fight, it's you can a, tell, that's Michael B. Fight. Jordan, yeah. Jonathan Majors. Were you impressed by that at all? That's the part of the fight that got me back into it. Okay. That's the part of the movie, sorry, that got me back into it. So the, the before that, like halfway through the movie, I was like excited at first. Then it started losing my interest a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then it's a Creed movie. It's like a, the Rocky movies. All the Rocky movies end with a fight. So we're not spoiling anything. There's a yes. fight at the end of the movie. <laughs> that fight at the end of the movie caught me again. And I was like, okay, boom, full-on attention on it. So did, I, it seems when, like you when, liked it a lot the whole way. Yeah, I liked it a lot the whole way. But also there were some parts in the middle where it's like, hey, when are we going to see some punching? But that final fight, I think it made up for everything yeah. for me. Where it was just the, oh, man, like the Michael B. Jordan, I'll give him credit for his directing style or, you know, like the metaphor of fighting where he was, you know, using influences from Naruto to, you know, like this is like this type of fight that he wants to have inside of a boxing ring. I thought it all worked perfectly in that final fight. But, you know, some of the middle parts, yeah. Exactly. That's what I thought. And that's why I'm like, OK, I won't give it a five star review, but I I did enjoy it. I do recommend you guys going to watch it. On There's a lot of movies coming out. I'm excited. So this was one, one of them that I had my eye on. And literally, we were probably a movie theater or two away of when I posted that. And you're like, dude, I watched it at eight. I watched it at nine. All right. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're on the same page. Damon, thank you so much, man. I'll see you tomorrow out there at Cashman Field. Thank you for having me. Damon Cotton, the cowboy. Follow him on social media, Damon underscore the boss on Twitter. And he'll be right up after the show as well at 2 o'clock from 2 to 5 with Q Myers on Unnecessary Roughness. Remember, fans, the Botanist Gin is hands down my favorite gin, and it's the number one fastest growing brand. Step up your cocktail game with the Botanist Gin. Let's go to a break, and we'll be right back to wrap up the week here on the JT The Brick Show. To the JT The Brick Show with today's guest host, Harry Ruiz. I think, I think you know, because um, quarterbacks are coming from different offense, and sometimes you're not comparing apples to apples because some of it is college football versus what we're going to be doing in the pros. They may, they may never even get into a huddle right. in, in college. And so as we evaluate quarterbacks, like it's, you know, processing, mm-hmm. it's decision-making, it's accuracy. You know, but a lot of it 
is that intangible things that you don't always see on tape. It's the communication with a teammate on the sideline. Mm. You know what I mean? It's how he communicates back from the field to the coach on the sideline. Can he process what the coach is, is trying to tell him? And so that's why going through this full process is so important, you know, when you're talking about adding a guy that you expect to lead your, your franchise. There's Champ Kelly, the assistant general manager for the Raiders, talking about what he's looking for in a quarterback when evaluating his talent, when scouting him. And, of course, the Raiders have their eye on the quarterbacks out there in the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine, which is winding down in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. Right now, the defensive backs are on the field. The quarterbacks, we already heard from them earlier today here on the JT The Brick Show from Bryce Young, from C.J. Stroud from Will Levis about what they are saying ahead of the NFL draft that will take place in Kansas City in the end of April. April 28th through the 30th is when we will find out who the Raiders and who every other team are going to be picking from the eligible pool of players in the NFL draft. Before we say goodbye today in today's show, I want to talk a little bit about baseball. And, of course, the team I know about the most is the Dodgers because I follow them and I'm watching their spring training games and I'm seeing everything happening. Unfortunately, last week, Gavin Lux, the projected starter at shortstop, ended up suffering a season-long injury that will keep him out during the 2023 season. Miguel Rojas, former Dodger that came back to the team after a couple of years out with the Miami Marlins, is now the projected starter at shortstop. Chris Taylor might be taking some uh, games out there in the middle of the field, but it's going to be difficult for the Dodgers because they're going to go from Trey Turner, who is one of the best players in baseball, who signed a $300 million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies, to Miguel Rojas. That's a big downgrade. And let's see how the Dodgers end up covering that. And especially now that there's no shift in baseball anymore. You got to have two infielders on each side of second base. You can't just eliminate those deficiencies that you had with some of your infielders by just positioning a player wherever you think and you know that the ball might be going because of the tendencies from the batter on the field and the both that and the pitch clock has been something that I've been keeping my eye on with all these games that are being played out there in Florida and out in Arizona. Bobby, I know you're a big baseball fan. You uh-huh. recorded your Red Sox game last night, well, hell yesterday. Of, hell of a game, 15-2. to two. Gotta there, love it. <laughs> there you go. What are you thinking about all these rule changes? I'm in favor of them, all of them. I mean, I'm not a big rules guy. Let's get that one straight. But, I mean, as far as the pitch clock, they've been using that over in AAA the whole past year. And I run an awful lot of AAA games, Las Vegas Aviators. I, before, those games used to be 3 hours 15, 3 hours 30. Now I'm out of the two and a half hours. Nothing to it. I love that stuff. As far as the shift goes, you know, I was watching a game yesterday, Phillies and the Red Sox, and um, Devers had, like, a grounder out into second. That would have been easily an out last year. This year, it's a single. Now, see, me, I'm I'm not a big one nothing defensive pitching duel kind of guy. I'd rather take a nap, frankly. Hmm. But I mean, if you're gonna have if we're gonna have if, if these rules are gonna increase the hitting and increase the action of the game, absolutely. 
Look, I like baseball, but I mean, four bleeping hours to sit there and watch a game? Come on now. Seriously? Hey, I was at Dodger Stadium in an 18-inning World Series game that I lasted know, over I know, six I hours. Know. We, and I was, we, We've had that discussion. I man. was so happy to just be there and enjoy baseball you were happy your and team baseball won. and baseball. <laughs> there were moments that it seemed like the Red Sox were going to win that game, but hey. Well, they won the series. So I know. Counts. Cody, Be- I, I, that was the one game I went to, and they were 1-0 while I was out there well, at Dodger Stadium. Hey, man, at least you got your money's worth on that one game. <laughs> that Friday night game, I'll never forget I was about it. to curse, but I was like, for real, yeah, that's something true. Here's a stat. Here's a stat, Bobby. After four full days of ca- of the Cactus and the Grapefruit League games, the time between those games, an average of two hours and 39 minutes. That's almost 20 minutes off of the two hours and 57 minutes average time that it took during spring training last year. So if you can trim 20 minutes off of a baseball game, that's 20 minutes less that I got to stick through traffic at Dodger Stadium. And, and if you're somebody like me that watches an awful lot of baseball on like a day off Saturday kind of thing, you got the East Coast game, usually the Yankees at 10 a.m. our time. Then you get the Fox game around 1 o'clock. Then you'll get the Fox West Coast game at 4 o'clock. And then you'll get like the West Coast, whatever it is, Dodgers, Angels, whatever, at 7 o'clock. Yeah, I don't want to now, watch Angels baseball. That's but, but, that, but my point being is that these games are a lot shorter now. You can actually watch two, three, four games without falling asleep and tapping out after the second one. And it gave us a great moment yesterday, one of these rules with the New York Yankees. This happened yesterday. Listen to it. Oh, a little quick pitch right there. Quick <laughs> well, pitch for the clock. How he, about that? He got the 16 <laughs> seconds there, or he's got the... Thir- 12 seconds there, I think. And now Tukapita's down two strikes within eight seconds. <laughs> wow. Don't need no pitch clock. That was Wandy Peralta from the New York Yankees striking out a batter on three pitches in 20 seconds. That was a quick in and out. I'd be thrilled except for the Yankees. Screw the Yankees. <laughs> if it were any other team, you were— Other 29 be, teams, glad to hear about it. You'd be cool know. about it. Yankees, no thank you. So I'm, I'm excited. Baseball's about to start. I'm more than likely, I'm 99% sure I'm going to go to opening day at Dodger Stadium. I'm about cool. to, to buy some tickets and head out there, and it's going to be my first opening day in a while because I've been stuck working in March for the last couple of years when there's been fans at the stadium. I've been to a couple of opening days at Fenway Park. I'll tell you one thing about it cold hey man i'm not looking for beer i'm looking for that cocoa let me tell you something you're out in the bleachers it's like 35 degrees it's cold so i don't know if people know this i don't drink while i'm at sporting events like raider games i would drink at the tailgate but not inside the stadium okay at the tailgate yes inside the stadium no so i'm actually thinking about getting tickets at one of the all you can eat sections and just be able to get as many dodger dogs and as many water bottles as possible some ice cream the el gordo section (laughs) <laughs> there you go. No, no wonder why I'm I'm gordo too. Yeah, you, you got a long way to go. I've seen some guys. Right? <laughs> okay, I'm. There was gordo. this fat guy on the bus yesterday. He took up three seats and he was still losing over. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm gordo, but not muy gordo. No, no. You got after a way going to, go. to opening. You got a way day. to go. Which, by the way, Dodgers opening day is going to be at, at night. That's weird. I like the one ten part yeah, starting. Pitches. I, I I can see that, especially for like a West Coast. If they're trying to get like all the teams to open on the same day or something like that, that would that kind of makes sense. Thursday, March. Unless 31st. they're going to have them do like an East Coast opener against like Philly or something. True that. So the game's going to be on a Thursday at seven ten. At least that gives me time to go sleep with my family and then drive back on Friday and enjoy 
the weekend out here in Las Vegas. I would, Raider- lo- I would love to hear about the sleeping with the family thing, but I got to go. Oh, no, I mean, staying at home with my family. My mom, my sister, they live out there. So I'm like, hey, being able to stay with them under the same roof is what I meant. Bobby, thank you so much for helping me out yesterday, today. Raider Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. Q has a great show lined up. Unnecessary Roughness from 2 to 5. Q and Daman will take you on all the way till 5 p.m. We will be on the air, Daman and myself, tomorrow, 3.45 p.m. with the pregame show, 4 p.m. with the XFL Vegas Vipers taking on the Seattle Sea Dragons. Have a fantastic weekend, Raider Nation. We'll talk to you soon. Good to go? All right, travel safely home.